let's say my anxiety is really, really kicked off. I don't know why, it's because I've got anxiety. It's not, it's because your nervous system has been triggered. And the more you can start to understand what triggers you, the more you can then learn how to soothe yourself through that trigger. And, and that's the other, you know, double-edged sword of trauma is if you've had deep trauma, you have not learned how to comfort yourself because you've been so busy trying to manage riding the wild horse, coping with all these extreme survival adaptations that you've never actually got to a place of comfort. Heal the pain. Yeah. First of all, heal the pain and the behaviors stop. Yeah. You know, but we're focusing on the treating the behaviors. We're disordering fear, like no one's allowed to be afraid anymore. So we're not connecting with the parts of us that are deeply, deeply afraid. Welcome to the Eventful Lives podcast. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the founder of Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sports and music festival. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. If you haven't already, do us a favour, press the follow button and check us out at Dodge Woodall on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube, where we've now had over 40 million views. The reaction from the last episode I recorded with Becky Halston has been unlike anything I've ever experienced. I'm still receiving messages from victims of narcissistic abuse today, over five months after this episode went live. I wanted to get Becky back on to talk about another of her specialist subjects, trauma. As a life coach and therapist, Becky has heard it all. And this episode is full of powerful information for anyone who's witnessed the immediate and long-term effects of trauma. This is the return of Miss Becky Halston. Becky, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back, Dodge. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been uh, some really interesting conversations that have come about on the one that we did, episode 103 on narcissism, right? Unbelievable. I've never had an episode in the 100 episodes that we've done, 100 plus episodes that we've done, that I've had so many messages from random people coming in going, oh my God, that's me. I'm in that relationship. What do I do to get out of this relationship? I've got a narcissistic uh, wife. I've got this or a husband and... It's just it's blown me away, to be honest with you. So that's why we're back here today to have talk a, about another subject, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, me too. And it's my one of my favourite subjects, um, and it shouldn't be anyone else's favourite subject. Mm. Um, it's something I very much specialise in. I'm very passionate about educating mm. people on. So again, thanks for having mm. me along today for that. So my question to you to start this off, to kick it off, is what is trauma? Well, that's an interesting one. I'm interested to know, what do you think at the beginning of this conversation, trauma is. Oh, put it back on me, Becky. Right, trauma. I reckon trauma would be a number of things, whether you've left the military, it could be trauma with, with whatever's gone in your life there. But I think trauma is something that's gone on as a kid, whether you're four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, that happened in your life that has had a huge effect on you as an adult now that hasn't been cleared up. That's a good explanation. Really good it explanation. Is, okay. Yeah. Obviously, traumatic events happen to us at any age, but the footprint of how we deal with stress and extreme circumstances obviously starts to build in us from the minute we are born. I think it's really helpful to think of trauma as extreme survival skills. And you only know that you need extreme survival skills when you find yourself in a life or death or a threatening situation. Um, and no one really knows how they're going to behave when they're in a threatening situation. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, trauma when we're an adult can have a profound impact. But what happens when we have trauma as a child is we get stuck in survival mode. And survival mode is supposed to be a way a set of circumstances and behaviors that save your life. Mm. It's not meant to be how you live your life. Mm. And the problem with trauma is we can get stuck there. So we actually get stuck in survival mode, yeah. but for the majority have no idea that they're stuck in survival mode. Mm. I think one of the other misconceptions about trauma is when we think about a traumatic event, you know, you straight away reference someone who'd come out of the military that had perhaps seen some really messy mm. stuff, you know, in their role. But often, um, you know, trauma is a lot less easy to identify. 
So, um, for example, it isn't always what happened to you. Sometimes it's what needs weren't met when you were a child. Um, You can have a traumatic event when you're an adult and that can be, you know, really unstabilizing. It can, you know, really give you some issues for a while. But if you've had stability through most of your life prior to that traumatic event, let's say a car accident or something like that, um, or you witness an event of somebody else being really hurt, because that, you know, that can really um, give you a sense of trauma as well. Um, Then, you know, you've got years of stability to restore yourself from. It's a bit like when your iPhone goes down or something, Mm. you know, if you haven't backed up, um, you've got a really big headache, you know, remember the old days before iCloud? Right, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, if you've just backed up the other day um, and you have a crisis moment, you can restore all your data and all your resources and all your identity and your program Mm. quite easily. Mm. Um, and, And the problem with trauma is it's, impacts how our brain works and it impacts how we show up in the in life so if you roll all the way back and you say right okay like some like trauma say if we use an example of your dad left at the age of two or your mum left at the age of two that's going to have a huge effect on the way you grow up as a child and have a huge effect that you haven't if you haven't dealt with this as an adult and it's only going to grow stronger and stronger in your adulthood right uh, yeah, I mean, that can be an example. I think it's also important to know that just because your dad left, which is a big event for anyone, anyone to have a sense of separation, abandonment um, is a big deal. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be traumatized. Mm. Because again, you know, let's say your parents did split out when you were two, four, five, six. Was the lead up to that volatile? Yeah. Was one parent completely absent um, emotionally during that time, because very often when um, parents split up, it isn't just the parents that's left the home the child is missing. It's the grieving parent that's still there trying to be a caregiver yeah. in their own pain. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more, you know, w- was that child consulted about in or explained to them in an, you know, in an age appropriate way, what was happening in their lives? You know, quite often when I work with adults, I don't work with children, mm-hmm. but I work with adults, um, when, when we really look at what they experienced as children, if we as adults were to put ourselves in that position, it would be heartbreaking. Yeah. And yet we, ex- we kind of expect children just to get on with it. Yeah. Um, and I think that brings us into what we, f- what we sort of hold up as coping. Mm. Coping looks like getting on with it. But that doesn't address trauma. Mm. And if we're not addressing trauma, we're having the wrong conversations. And the wrong conversations, therefore, are about mental health. Yeah. Because, you know, trauma isn't just a mental issue. It's a physical issue. It affects how your whole mind and body works. So you're saying physical issue. What do you actually mean by that? Well, so our nervous system, you know, no one thinks suffering. You know, you can have mental suffering, you're overthinking, you're trying to make sense of something, but actually most of our emotion, you know, I wish it was called emotional health because most of what gives us deep, deep pain um, is physical. And one of the things that happens when we experience trauma is our body goes into shock and our body is naturally designed to go into shock as a form of protection. You know, our bodies respond with the increase in heart rate an increase in blood flow through our bodies yeah. to help us get away from danger, yeah. to help us to survive. Survival mode, isn't completely. it? Completely. Yeah. But, but that must have its knock-on effects to your body as well. Completely. The disease, dis-ease. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So God knows how many things sort of stem from this that can cause cancers. 95%. Is that right? In fact, there was some leading research done in America, which is a little bit out of date now, but still groundbreaking for the time and certainly invited the important conversations, which um, said that it was called the ACE ACE score study and it stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And it was a set of 10 questions that they asked multiple amounts of people. And they collected the result and they analyzed the data and they they integrated that with their physical health ailments. Mm. And so if you, a score, an ACE score of one is too high. Mm. You already have problems 
with an ACE score of one. And what they found was people with an ACE score, sort of one and four plus, had an increased um, vulnerability to cancer, autoimmune conditions, heart attacks, and broken bones. Wow. So, you know, I have, I have many people, you know, very few people come and, and to me and actually say, I, I've had trauma, I've got trauma. Mm. The majority of people don't. They come because they're impulsive, angry. Perhaps they're suffering with addictions. Perhaps their relationships are broken down. Um, they've got divorced, they're in pain. Um, or their life is, they're feeling a failure yeah. of some level. But they're not relating that back to yeah, what they learned as a child. Yeah. And what they learned as a child is in their nervous system. Mm. Like you don't, you know, when we're born, our brain's like a sponge. Mm. And that sponge goes in the bucket of our life. So we absorb whatever's going on around us without the ability to filter it and go, is that useful or is that not useful? Yeah. Um, and this is a nervous system experience too. You know, children, when they're pre-language, they can't talk. Mm. So they communicate with their nervous systems. They communicate with energy. And that energy starts to learn, have I attached to another human being? Mm. And we only attach when it's safe for us to attach or if that other human being is available to us. So for, for people who suffer really, uh, you know, pre-verbal childhood trauma, sometimes the, their way of attaching to people is really compromised. Mm. And as a result of that compromise, so, you know, I mean, you've got a son yourself. Mm. So when he was newborn and Teddy fell out of the cot or he couldn't see Teddy, like, Ah, meltdown, Teddy's left me, mm. you know, and then the brain learns, well, hang on, no, Teddy hasn't left me. I've learned that I can just do that and Teddy's there. Yeah. So I've now attached um, and I know that if I can't see the forms of people or objects that tell me I'm safe in the world, mm. then I'm still safe. Mm. Now, obviously, if that gets interrupted, you're a child not feeling safe in the world. Um, and then when you experience challenges in life, you're not going to be able to have the stability and emotional regulation mm. to take yourself through those. Mm. So do you think like if someone's brought up in an abusive household as a kid, they saw the mum and dad fighting, they saw the mum mentally abusing the dad. From what I've seen as an adult with people around me, normally that person actually ends up being that person in later life, the like the mental abuser, because that's what they experienced when they were a child. I think, I think when you look at that as an example, um, that's only one example of how people adapt to, you know, remembering that trauma is extreme survival skills. So in order to survive the bully, become the bully. Yeah. Um, but it starts as a nervous system response, mm. which we have no control over. And that is how do we behave when we're under threat? Yeah. So the, you know, the first two ways most people have heard about now, which is fight or yeah. flight. Yeah. And you don't choose, you don't sort of get out, mm, how would I like to respond to this? It's not a conscious decision. So what happens is your nervous system takes over and it has this instant response that overrides any mental choice. Mm. Um, so someone might automatically go into fight. Yeah. So the military, for example, certain, so Marines or something like that, they will all, in selection, they will search for people whose nervous systems already go into fight. Yeah. Now, that can be a positive thing in the right context, but it can be a negative thing in the wrong, you know, if it's not regulated. Mm. You know, it, when it's not regulated, a fight response always wants to have the last word. Mm. And they never know when to stop fighting mm. so that they will create constant issues in their lives that they then have to fight against. But their responses to those, they're not able to let anything go. Mm. So that's one way, the fight response. The other way is the flight response. Now, if a lion was to jump in this office now, which clearly isn't going to happen, you'd probably fight it. You might. I reckon you'd have a go. That's a good question. Would I have a go against it? I would have a go. Right. Yes. And it would be an instant <laughs> thing that you would probably, I would, I, I would imagine knowing you a bit, that you would sort of go in to protect mm. and you would go in to, to, to fight and, mm. and it would be a natural response. Um, I just, I just visualised a massive lion. I couldn't get my head around that. If someone come in here and were um, wanted to attack this room, we didn't know who they were. Yeah. My initial thing would be fight, fight. Right. Take him down and protect. Yeah, agree. Right. Yeah. Now I'd want. That's just natural. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is natural. Yeah. Now I'd want to fight, yeah. 
but my nervous system wouldn't do that. But it would do that for someone else. Anyway, we'll get to that. So the next thing is flight. So again, a smart thing to do would be to leg it Mm. from the threat. Can I get away from the threat? And we only have to look at nature and look at how animals that naturally fight are built Mm. and how animals that are naturally built to flee are built. Mm. You know, think of the gazelle and the impala or the Mm. deer running. It will outrun the predator. So there's a time and a place where flight is a really good life-saving decision. But what happens with trauma is you find yourself in a situation that you couldn't fight and you couldn't run away from. So how do you run away from your abusive parents? Mm. How do we run run away from a volatile home? How do you run away from um, a parent that's beating you or or psychological abuse? telling you you're you're awful all the time. How do you get away from uh, a teacher that's constantly devaluing you and calling you you're stupid and you've been, you know, undiagnosed dyslexic or something? Mm -hmm. So if you find yourself in a pit or, you know, or some of the sort of more noticeable traumatic events, such as, you know, sexual, um, sexual violence and physical violence, how do you get away? How do you get away? Like if you if you've been sexually abused as a kid, yeah. Like you know, you see these professional footballers who are coming out now saying one in six boys, one in six and boys. one in four girls. Is that the stats? Yeah, and and bearing in mind the majority of people never even reveal to someone that they've been just, sexually just roll, abused. Just roll back a minute. One in six. One in six boys, and one in four girls are sexually abused while being taught sport. Yeah, under twelve. And that's without the stats of going people who didn't put their hand up to say, I don't want to, I actually want to put this under the carpet. Right. My God. Those people who put it under the carpet, that's carrying on for them the rest of their life. They've got to mentally deal with that as they get older every year, waking up in the morning, having that thought in their mind because they haven't dealt with their trauma as a kid. So what does the body do? It buries it. Which then has a knock-on effect for disease. Yes. And mental problems. And triggers. So someone might not know why they walk into a room and there's a man with a beard and they will apt their nervous system will absolutely kick off. But the thing is they can't fight, they can't flight. Because one of the things that happens with trauma is your nervous system adapts to help you survive. Yeah. You've got to remember that with any suffering and anything, you know, from addiction to eating disorders to um insomnia to um, extreme sports even, that yeah. there is nothing that the mind and body doesn't do that on some level isn't trying to help you to survive. Yeah. It's just dysfunctional in how it's trying to get about because of this. If you couldn't fight and you couldn't fly, you are- Trapped. Right. So, yeah. So how do you escape from being trapped from terror? And what happens is this sort of extra coping panel, the extreme survival skills, opens up and it's available to everyone and it's exactly what you needed in that one moment when you experienced that situation but you never shut the panel again unless you get help Mm. and what happens then is the extra skills are available is freeze Mm. so your nervous system not your mind freezes and the problem with freeze is to somebody else it looks like coping because you look resourceful, but you're actually frozen. You two, you're talking there like freeze. Like if you're about to go on stage somewhere or do a show or something, you get on stage and go, I've, I've literally frozen. Right. I can't speak. I can't move. I can't dance. I can't sing. I don't know who I am. I couldn't tell I you my name. Yeah. Start the sweats. Yeah. Is that because of potentially there's a trauma they haven't dealt with in the, in the younger years? Yes. And the trauma may not be... Um, direct I was on stage and humiliated and laughed at but the trauma may be you know what my body not my mind my body is remembering and recalling a time where I felt this vulnerable and so now it's linking the fact that I'm stood here being looked at vulnerable to that time when I was really vulnerable Mm. so the nervous system freezes And in that frozen state, you can't help yourself. Mm. So if, you know, if you're in a situation where you're being assaulted, you know, you will find that you can't run and you can't fight and you didn't know why. You know, I've worked with tough guys who found themselves in a situation that they are physically capable of handling and they found they couldn't. Mm. 
And then that makes them turn against themselves with self-hatred because they didn't understand that their nervous system automatically had kicked in with this program. Mm. And then there's a more extreme version of freeze, which is disassociation. Mm. And I think that is the most under-talked about issue that we have that commonly links to lots of mental health issues and pain and suffering is that you can actually check out of your body. But disassociation is in a survival tool Mm. isn't um, isn't constructive. It's constructive in that in that moment and you disassociate from your body, you can no longer feel the fear. This isn't happening to me because I'm up here or my sense of me is up here. So my body is experiencing all these things, but I'm up here. A lot of people who experience extreme anxiety are actually disassociated in part. Part of them is disassociated from their body, Mm. but the rest of them isn't. And so much suffering, inability to connect in relationships, you know, to not even know your own identity because you're not in your body and i'm not talking at this point about some of the diagnosis of um of borderline personality disorder or anything like that i think an enormous amount of people are actually disassociated from their bodies and they have no idea but you can't somebody will return to their body when they feel safe again but the problem with the adaptations of trauma is your body doesn't feel safe so you can't go back there and for some people, they're still not safe. If you're in a toxic, abusive relationship, yeah, yeah. checking out of your body, you can't choose to check out of your mm. body, right? It just happens. Mm. And the problem is you don't know you've checked out of your body. But what I what you've got to understand in many, many cases, if you want to see, it's not why are you behaving like this? The question is what happened to you? And by knowing what happened to someone, you can start to understand their behavior. But then this becomes a problem when it's a trauma response, right? Because if you couldn't fight or flight and freeze didn't kick in for you, there's another way that people deal with being uh, with trauma, which is friend. And friend is when you friend the danger. So the lion jumps in and I'll try and friend the danger. And a, and I'll a just hold people it. pleasing. I'll hold it. Oh, people pleasing. Okay. So people pleasing is a trauma response. It's not a nice person. Yeah. You know, and that trauma response says, if if I invite confrontation, yeah. I'm in danger. Mm. If I, you know, it isn't just about saying yes to everything. It's actually a complete strategy to avoid confrontation often, um, but also to avoid being finding out our deepest core wounds as human being, which is I'm not lovable. Because if I'm not lovable, a child's nervous system reads that as death. Mm. So people pleasing. So the people out there who are constantly people pleasing, what are you suggesting? They've had trauma. They've had trauma. And they have unhealed trauma. Trauma is huge. Right. So why are we all talking about mental health? Yeah. Why is it? It seems to me that sort of this whole mental health has been fairly fresh over the last four or five years really the word mental health and the word anxiety and the, these words all popping up as we were growing up what was it just fear it was just get on with it just crack on it was get on with it and don't show weakness yeah. um and i think that was really really damaging but what we got also do you, un- think, do you think that was damaging when we were growing up said so come on crack on get on with it yeah deal with it i think it's probably one of the most toxic Um, programs that was given to us. But you've also got to understand that some of where that came from as well is post-war when you had to get on with it. But we got stuck there as as an extreme survival mechanism. Mm. I think there's two sides to the story there. Because you can, I don't know whether the world at the moment is a lot of mental health issues and a lot of going on. I don't really want to go down that route and, and whatever. But do you think the world's gone a bit soft as well? that there seems to be something for everyone? No, I don't. Because I think we have been having some of the wrong conversations about mental health. Mm. I think it's so important to start being able to talk about our feelings and express our feelings and learn how to express our feelings. The majority of us have not even got the language to talk about our feelings, Mm. never mind to have those feelings recognized and not shut down by another person with, you know, get on with it. Um, or, or, or you'll same, be all right. Or that same point. Uh, women women will talk about feelings and talk about how, how, what's going on in their day in their world. A bloke wouldn't. Very rarely blokes will sit down and go, oh, 
Tommy, you know what? This has happened to me last night. And oh God, it's a sign of weakness right. in, in that man's world. But what I've seen, which is a huge positive, there are more men speaking. I've had so many men reach out to me going, I've got nowhere to turn to. My wife's been abusing me yeah. mentally. Not my wife, because she's sound as a pound flow, but I'm saying, but yeah. Um, but they've been coming saying, my wife, they've actually realized that you and I talking about this and bringing it open about narcissism, relationship, they're then coming back going, my wife's been mentally abusing me and putting me down, making me feel like a piece of shit every single day. So I'm not good enough for the kids. I'm not good enough for this. I'm not earning enough money. What are you doing? Why is the house a mess? Why are your shoes down there? Why? It's constant. There's going to be a point where that bloke's going to break. There has to be a point where that bloke goes, I have had enough. Or is that is that bloke in friend? Like, has he already got a trauma response? And also then... In friend. So go back there. As you said, is that bloke in friend? So he, he wants to just please everyone. Or does he just want to please his missus to keep the headache down? Because he could fight the missus and confront her. Not physically, but go back and have an argument. But I think the majority of blokes out there these days would go, you know what, you win. I can't be bothered to have the argument. Okay, if you say you want me to do something, I'll do it. And that's what I find I've noticed in men. I mean, I can't speak for a bloke. You can speak for a bloke, mm. but I can certainly speak from someone who's worked with hundreds and hundreds of men mm. who have been um, experienced trauma. But I think we, when we're addressing something at the behavioral level, which is what you're talking yeah. about, is why am I not having a conversation about this being unreasonable? You can't address trauma on a behavioral level. Behavior is the clue. What we have to look at is what was your relationship with security and people when you were young? Because the chances are the pattern began then. Mm. You know, when so the you, pattern began then. So you as a as a dad or, or as a husband, you're accepting the pattern in your relationship as an adult. Completely. So, you know, for for a lot of our men who got the we don't cry like a girl son you yes, know you've got yeah. to get on with it Strap um, on, right crack on yeah you know yeah. we even stay you know got to, you know you got to have big big kahunas yeah. to do that well when when you know look at a little a, a newborn baby boy and look at a newborn baby girl mm. um there are they express their emotions through sound through crying you know we know that Tears are the way of the body getting rid of the stress hormone cortisol. Yeah. And cortisol is dangerous in quantities in your body. Yeah. So it causes disease. Yeah. So, you know, remember, there is nothing that the mind and body doesn't do that on some level isn't trying to help you survive. Mm. So when we look at, so we can't look at things at a behavioral level. We have to look much deeper than that. So if you've been shown your whole life to not cry like a girl and vulnerability is weakness, it means that you won't be looking at the real problem. Yeah. It means that you'll be burying it in your body and getting on with it. And that's supported as well by the you know heart attack rates in men. Because what happens to all those emotions that you bury, the anger that you bury, the hurt that you bury, the tears that you swallow down, mm. what happens to them? Mm. So you never actually learn how to release trauma from your body. Do you think that if you don't know how to release this trauma, you don't know how to deal with it because you've never been taught, like in our society today, people drink a lot more alcohol than they ever have done. And I have a lot of friends who drink a lot of alcohol to suppress the feelings that maybe they haven't dealt with. Because if you're sober for three, four, five, six days, seven days, I'm not talking like they're alcoholics, but they'll drink most nights a bottle of wine, a half a bottle of wine on a Tuesday, on a Saturday they'll have seven pints and a few shots and whatever it may be as the whole nation seems to do. They, do you think that's a lot to do with suppressing their feelings? It's numbing. So one of the things you do, so we talked about the nervous system and how it responds, right? So, you know, you've also got this primitive nerve that runs through the middle of your body called the vagus nerve and the, the, vagus nerve. the vagus nerve. Yeah. V-E-G-A-S. V-A-G-U-S. Oh, U-S. Okay. Yeah. And the vagus nerve. So yeah, if you I was, imagine. I was thinking Vegas, baby. So yeah, no, not that kind of Vegas. No, Dodge. <laughs> although, although some of the disruption that it will yeah, cause sure. to you is probably similar to Vegas. <laughs> but, you know, you've got to understand how the nervous system deals with mm. threat. So you've got like one part called the sympathetic nervous system. 
Think of that as the accelerator of a car. Mm. And then you've got another part called the parasympathetic nervous system. There'll be an exam after this for you. <laughs> um, think of that as the brake. So yep. we've got an accelerator and a brake. And then you've got a nerve running through the middle called the vagus nerve. Now, an, an, a regulated nervous system. And what I mean by regulated nervous system is a nervous system that feels safe in the world yeah. and safe with people. And everyone wants to feel safe, right? Right. Yeah. Feeling safe is at the fundamental foundation of our ability to function. And one of the things trauma does is it affects your ability to feel safe. So what then happens in your body mm. is your accelerator can get stuck on mm. like panic. <gasps> mm. You know, the shock comes in the body. Most often with trauma, the shock gets stuck in the body. Yeah. So it doesn't get fired least, out yeah. and so the, the the message to the body that i am safe again now isn't completed so your nervous system is stuck still thinking that it's in danger and so it starts to adapt and um one of the big patterns of that is people who filter the world under all or nothing mm. you know if you are doing all or nothing so i'm not going to go to the gym because if i can't go to the gym every day i might as well not go to the gym at yeah. all um so I'm either drinking everything or I'm not drinking at all. Yeah. And I'm eating everything or I'm not eating at all. Yeah. So they filter the world through this because of how, in part, how their nervous system is dysfunctional. Yeah. It's not regulated. So you are trying to live life riding a wild horse yeah. is what it will feel yeah. like. And I guess what you just mentioned there, it would have a knock-on effect to addictions, whether it's right. food addictions, Numbing. sex addictions. Work. Porn addictions, work, work addictions, gym, alcohol addictions, drug addictions. So now I need to numb the wild horse that yeah. I'm feeling inside that I've maybe labeled anxiety, but actually it's a clue. It's a clue that your nervous system is dysregulated and kind of going, help, yeah. help, I don't feel safe. Mm. But if you've cut yourself off, especially as a bloke, mm. from your thoughts to your feelings and overthinking is a symptom of being cut off from your feelings. Overthinking is a symptom of being cut off from your feelings. Explain that. Well, so if you're trying to think yourself out of emotional pain, yeah. how do you do that? You can't think your way out of emotional pain because emotional pain is feelings-based. Yeah. And so you're using the wrong so, department. So it's a physical base rather yeah. than your, your mind base. Okay. So therefore the mind is left to do the jobs yeah. that actually your feelings need to be doing. Yeah. But if you've buried a whole, you know, I think a lot of guys um, and girls have learned to box stuff off. Mm. Just put it under the carpet and get on with that it. That will always rear, it, always rears its head unless you've dealt with it. Right. Always. Because what happens after 20 years of putting things under the yeah. carpet? The carpet flaps up and everything topples down on top of you. Mm. And that's generally where I, you know, I see quite a lot of clients that, that some of those boxes have fallen on top of them. Um, and now they're utterly overwhelmed and stressed out. So we've got these nervous systems that are dysregulated. So the thing and the trauma is what's dysregulating the nervous system. So you can do all the positive thinking you want to do. Um, you can manifest everything that you think you know, that you're picturing in your mind, but your nervous system is not on board. So you have to heal the nervous system when you're talking about trauma. Mm. And there are three profound questions to identify what your relationship like is like within the world. Want to know what they are? I'd love to. I've just written a book about these three questions Go because on. they are so powerful. What's the book? Give it a plug. Um, the Safety Catch, but it's, it's uh, as yet not published. Okay. But these three questions, and you have to go with an instinctive answer mm. first and foremost. So before the mind kicks in and mm. starts to question and query. Mm. Um, and the first question is, do you feel the world is safe or dangerous? Me? Are you asking me? Oh, Yeah, that's the first question. Safe. Right. Do you feel that people are safe or dangerous? Safe. Do you feel that you are safe or dangerous to others? Safe. Right. Now, some people have just gone, oh God, I've answered that dangerous. In which case you need to understand that that's the story your nervous system has. The, the story your nervous system has is, do you know what? The world is dangerous, which means I wake up in the morning in shock, yeah. which means that I am pumping adrenaline constantly or I'm shut down to keep myself safe. Mm. Depression. Mm. You know, I'm collapsed my nervous system because I need to shut down, be completely invisible. You know, where do we put our... Where do we put our safest, when we want to come something, put something 
precious to us, somewhere safe. We lock it away somewhere dark, right? Mm. Don't we? And so the nervous system is trying to protect you when it shuts you down. Mm. So we have all these maladaptive coping strategies to try and help us to return to feeling safe again. Mm. The problem is, I mean, the heroin addict is then creating so much more. We are not looking at the heroin addict and going, well, I can see how you're trying to keep yourself safe. Yeah. We are seeing them putting themselves constantly yeah. in danger. Because what also happens with trauma is it distorts how the brain works. So it means you can't recognize danger. Our feelings are really important. Mm. We need to navigate with feelings. If you're wake, waking up in a job that you're not enjoying constantly and that feeling that I don't want to do this, mm. pay attention to That's it. That's going to eat away at you. But Every pay, single, listen yeah. to it, pay attention to it. But how can you listen to it if you've buried your feelings? Because when you can't just access a part of your feelings, you have to access your feelings. Mm. Um, but, uh, but I think coming back to the safe question, for some people who would have gone, well, I'm safe. I feel, I, I feel the world is safe. I feel people are safe and I feel I'm safe to others. The reality is, what about when you're not in control? And when we find ourselves not in control, so our business is challenged financially, um, we're, you know, we feel like our lives are going off a cliff or we're in a toxic relationship. Um, anything that compromises our relationship with control mm. Well, suddenly you've become, you've a trauma response can be to control everything. That's really interesting. So, so then you find yourself not in control of a situation and your whole identity of being a safe person falls across. You know, the biggest one that does that? Go on. Divorce. Divorce. Yeah. Do you think that is if we go to say um, women CEOs and I've had many on, I've had three or four on the podcast who feel they have to be that tough female boss so they can sort of live up to the sort of a male CEO boss. Does that cause problems within the workforce, you think? It depends what the workforce is. It depends what the industry is. It depends on what the culture is in that industry mm. and whether or not you have awoken to change that mm. or whether or not you're continuing with the same way you've been treated. Mm. Um, but again, so much of this need to get on with it and portray this tough anti-vulnerability image yeah. is based on trauma. Yeah. Because we've all, ex for so many people, they have experienced big trauma and they did not know how to cope with it. And nobody talked to them about it and nobody made them feel safe again. You know, very often when I work with, you know, even, you know, soldiers, you know, blue light responders who have dealt with what we would identify as being obvious traumas. Yeah. You know what the real issue comes down to? It wasn't the incident in the workplace. It was what they experienced in childhood when they felt totally vulnerable and afraid. And quite often that is what leads someone to seek that kind of work. That's so true. I'm just thinking of friends of mine who are in the NHS or work for ambulance or work for police or work for it's all starting to... Right. So yeah. here's an organisation yeah. that will help me resource myself and give me an element of control yeah. over pain. Yeah. Which will kind of, you know, give you a great purpose, but also put that with a lot of nurses, etc. The way I'm going to deal with my trauma is I'm going to, I'm going to become addicted to focusing on other people's yeah. needs and not my own because I learned as a child that my needs weren't important. Yeah. And more importantly, I risk violence or abuse or psychological warfare if I was to express my needs. Yeah. So I learned that no one came when I was hurt and therefore I learned not to be hurt. What advice could you give to someone who when they were younger and they were sexually abused and they're now in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, even 60s and 70s, what advice could you give someone out there? In the first instance, for a lot of people, they will be, I think anyone who's gone through childhood sexual abuse and violence um, and racial abuse too, we, we put that in there. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously the physical and sexual abuse is assaulting your body as well. Um, I think 
and introduces a human being to an exceptional understanding of what it feels like to be powerless in the world. Mm. And powerless is unsafe. And I think anyone who is surviving that, I think needs to look at themselves and really deeply understand that everything that they may have done that they're hating themselves for Mm. or giving them a hard, you know, being really riddled with self-hatred about was a coping mechanism. And to understand how remarkable they are to have survived something that I deem as one of the biggest psychic assaults you can do on an individual. And, and, and especially when that comes from males to young boys as well, because in society that comes up with a lot less recognition. Mm. Um, what do you mean by a lot less recognition? I think, I think in women becoming, I think women have always had a place of vulnerability in the world and we've had to fight against that and, and say, no, we're actually capable. We can vote, etc. Um, whereas I think men have always had to portray this tough, get on with it image. So to, I think, I mean, shame is indiscriminate. And I think shame gets, shame gets in your body like a poison Mm. and it's not your shame. You have to remember it's not your shame Mm. and you have to, and I would say, I mean, absolutely go and work with a a good trauma informed therapist because it will change, it will change your life, not by changing you, but by helping you to restore you and your nervous system to somebody who can once again be safe and, and feel safe in the world and feel safe with other people. Mm. When people have betrayed your trust, particularly if it was people, which in most cases it is, that are known to you in some way, yeah. the the difference between who can I trust? No one. Everybody is dangerous has a massive effect on everything that you do think Mm. and feel Mm. but the important news to know is it can be recovered yeah so whatever age you're at it can be recovered go speak to someone there is freedom from all trauma that you've experienced Mm. it's not necessarily overnight and an instant fix but by working with a combination of more so working with people who do what's called somatic therapy. So that's working with the nervous system up to the mind Mm. rather than analyzing what has been experienced. Because quite often, particularly with trauma, if you analyze what's been experienced, you're reliving it and reliving it and reliving it. And there's already a part of the brain that doesn't understand that this event isn't still happening to you. So you shoot, so it, what I'm learning from this is you're trapped in your own mind. And as the years go on, you're magnifying body. this problem and you're magnifying it and magnifying it and magnifying it. And it's causing disease within the body and it's causing you mental health problems. Triggers. Yeah. So for many people, they will not understand what's triggered them. Yeah. You know, they'll come to, well, I, I'm just, I'm just depressed. And, and I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a depressed person. I get depressed from time to time. Um, And then you speak to them and you find out about their lives and you find out some of the things that they've had to survive and endure. Mm. Um, Humiliation, bullying. I mean, bullying comes up massively. You may have had secure parents, but at six, seven years old, you've been deeply shamed by who you are. Mm. So that's a really interesting one. If you were a bully or you got bullied as a child and as an adult, you're in a relationship married to a a guy, and you're bullying him, or his friends, or just being abusive to everyone around and everyone's moved away. Again, that comes back to trauma. First to go back to actually sort that out, to find out what the problem is before you can go and be nice again. Because hurt people hurt. hurt. Yeah, hurt people hurt. And, and one of the cruelest things that you can do as well to a human being is actually to isolate them. What do you mean by that? To isolate. So for when we're, when we're small babies, yeah. isolation is death. You don't survive. Mm. So your nervous system reads isolation as death. Mm. So it will work out and adapt on so many levels, ways to make sure that I'm not isolated. So when that comes to them bullying, be it as in school or in the workplace um, or in in a relationship, Mm. by isolating people, 
is one of the cruelest things you can do because your nervous system goes, I'm going to die. So you're saying isolating the bully or the one who's abusive, if they get isolated. Isolating the the abuser, isolating the individuals. Mm. So for an individual to be isolated from a group yeah. is really tra- is a really traumatic thing to do. What about the abuser if they get isolated? I would say then, I'd say again, we're looking at behavioural level here rather than what has happened to the abuser. Yeah. Now that doesn't exonerate criminal and hurtful behaviour. You know, it doesn't mean because you were bullied that that's okay that you bully. Mm. It doesn't make it okay and it certainly doesn't make it okay for the victim. Mm. It gives an understanding into why that person's behaving the way that they are. Mm. And if you work at healing the traumas, then you can help someone to change their responses. So extreme violent people very often have had very violent upbringings. Also trauma travels through generations. It's passed on through ancestors. None of that's hardwired. So you can change it just because you have been perhaps passed on that program from your ancestors Mm. doesn't mean that you have to act on it. You have to act on it. I've got another one here. Why... Are there so many people out there who love drama? It's a trauma response in lots of cases. Not not exclusively, but in some cases, it's a trauma response. Um, Because if I'm in the drama, my nervous system is constantly being, um, I'm getting adrenaline from the drama. And if I've got an adrenaline high, I'm not feeling the pain. The pain, wow. Wow, And also it can treat someone, if you grew up around drama and your nervous system was feeling the stress of constant drama around you, it's all you know. Yeah. So your nervous system finds a strange comfort in the familiar. So if someone in their 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever it may be, enjoys the drama, enjoys the drama, creates drama, always wanting drama in their life, they're suppressing their feelings, essentially, of having to deal with what the problem is, which is the trauma back when they were younger. Yeah. So what happens if in their 30s, 40s, whatever age they may be, they go, I'm dealing with the drama. I'm stepping away from drama. I don't want drama in my life. Then then they feel a bit lost. Right. So then they withdraw, feel isolated, and then perhaps get in a new relationship or uh, a, a new set of circumstances, which will trigger them again because what's in the body so within so without Mm. so what's in the body gets triggered you know um so let's say someone doesn't text you back Mm. well now my deep abandonment wound has been triggered and my nervous system is going you've been left all alone as a small child this is a death situation so i'm going to react disproportionately to that situation to the person on the receiving end who's just thinking, you know, I'm having a tough day or, yeah. or I'm, I'm busy. Dinner, leave me alone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the, for the other person, they've just dropped just, yeah. straight down the crevice into a deep abandonment story, yeah. which is being read by their nervous system as death. Yeah. Now that is the trauma response. So we have to, you know, part of healing from trauma is learning to regulate your nervous system, number one. Number two, identifying triggers. So let's say, you know, my anxiety is really, really kicked off. I don't know why. It's because I've got anxiety. It's not. It's because your nervous system has been triggered. And the more you can start to understand what triggers you, the more you can then learn how to soothe yourself through that trigger. And and that's the other, you know, double-edged sword of trauma is if you've had deep trauma, you have not learned how to comfort yourself yeah, yeah, because you've been so busy trying to manage riding the wild horse, coping with all these extreme survival adaptations that you've never actually got to a place of comfort. Do you think it's a time if someone's ever listening out there who's feeling this and you could, we would have triggered a lot of people here, do you think they've got to give time out to themselves and go, 
I actually need to sort this problem out. I need to sort what this trauma is. I need to go and see someone chat through this so I can clear up my past yeah. so I can actually move forward as an adult and actually be nicer to people around me or take away the drama or take away the addictions or whatever it may be. This will ease the pain, right? Heal the pain. Yeah. First of all, heal the pain and the behaviours stop. Yeah. You know, but we're focusing on the treating the behaviours. We're disordering fear. Mm. Like no one's allowed to be afraid anymore. Mm. So we're not connecting with the parts of us that are deeply deeply afraid um and you can have conflicts within you you know somebody you know why are we all terrified of public speaking mm. you know speak to most people that's their number one fear yeah why is that vulnerability yeah well, on stage by yourself no one yeah. around with a mic in your hand right yeah but for some people that place is a place of comfort yeah because they're on their own on the stage yeah and they're presenting whatever they're, you know, actors, for yeah. example, a lot of actors take comfort in the fact that it isn't them on the stage. Yeah. It's, it's another their, identity. It's front, isn't it? Right. Yeah. That's and why they're most very comedians are really funny on stage, but off the stage, a lot of them are unhappy. So the other thing yeah. we do when we're traumatized people is we create masks. Yeah. So some of the most traumatized people wear the most effective masks. Go on. Um, so you would, you know, that some of the happiest people yeah. um, who talk like this and sing yeah. song voice and like beat like that, yeah. watch them walk away yeah. and they take the masks off. Do you think that's why we're going to social media here? Why I find amazing is why people on social media buy likes for their photos. They'll buy a thousand likes and, you know, in the office here, people, people go through and have a look. People are wanting this front show. Why? What's going through the head to, to want that? If we were to trace that back, yeah. it will come down to the deep wound of I am not lovable. So if I can present, if I work really, really, really hard to show the world I'm lovable, mm. maybe people will believe I'm lovable and then maybe I'll get to believe that I'm lovable, which is a really long way round yeah. to go to being lovable. Mm. And we all need to be loved because we've learned that if we're not loved, if we're not good enough to be loved, then we're abandoned. And that'll feel the pain from a child. Yeah. So that person who puts up a photo and put, it buys a thousand likes from India or whatever, and, and then what's going through that person's head? Surely they must be having serious struggles in their minds. They, pop, they may not recognize it because they also may be chasing the high, right? So the other way that they could be numbing trauma is by chasing the high of popularity, yeah. achievement, right? Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of sports people who go into extremes of anyone who goes into extremes of anything needs to be looking at themselves and their relationship with with trauma. Mm. Um, you know, how many people use pain to get rid of pain. Mm. So if I'm I'm a triathlete, mm. so I am gonna put myself You're a rugby player. Right, I'm a rugby player. Yeah. I'm going to learn to channel the pain that I have felt by feeling vulnerable and helpless into contact, channeled contact. Yeah. And I have now got an outlet for that yeah. physical. A phys I'm yeah. getting the trauma out of my body, yeah. except I'm not. And I have learned that pain, I can numb my pain with more with pain, pain. Wow. but I've chosen this pain. Yeah. So I'm in control of it. It goes back to what I said about being in control. So there's a really good point there then. So when that rugby player finishes playing rugby, he can't take out that physical activity of smashing people on a field to get rid of that pain. So he's just dealing or she's just dealing with that pain post playing sport. Yeah. And now my career is Ended. over, which is yeah. my identity. Yeah. And some of my safety came from my identity. Yeah. But my identity as a rugby player, for example, was temporary. Yeah. So now I don't know who I am. And now I'm vulnerable and unsafe. And now I'm dropped into the storm of emotions. And how am I now going to numb my pain with more pain? Cocaine and alcohol and partying. Gambling. Gambling, whatever right. it may be. Or I know I'm going to become an entrepreneur workaholic. Yeah. So you find something to yeah. numb the pain. But remember, this is all a coping mechanism. Yeah. But you tell me this, how I was never taught, it's taken me years to do this work. Yeah. How do we feel pain? How do we learn how to feel pain when you've been taught to bury it? So therefore, merely walking into pain yeah. is terrifying. Mm. You know? Is that because you got to deal with the fear? 
You're and walking into a ball of fire of going, I need to go back to when I was seven, eight, nine or ten. Fear and vulnerability. Feel that vulnerability, yeah. And when you have had no cope, when you have the coping skills of a small child, mm. the last time you, you identified with feeling that vulnerable was a traumatic situation. Mm. You're now in a lot of a lot of emotional pain. Mm. And you don't know, you've got the coping skills of a small child. Because you've never allowed yourself to walk the walk of vulnerability. Yeah. And learning to walk the walk of vulnerability is embracing vulnerability. Mm. And it's learning that it doesn't kill you. Mm. It's learning that you can breathe through it. You can let it out of your body. Like breathing is a really good way. Absolutely. And I don't, you know, we're all breathing, but actually but most breathing, people aren't. No, they're not. They're just breathing because that's what you do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But breathing from deep down yeah. and going for those nice walks and bringing in the air and being being, being emotionally aware of everything's going on around you. Walking is really good for releasing trauma from your body, right? Yeah. Because you're stimulating different hemispheres of your body. Mm. Your, your, your um, right hemisphere and left hemisphere. And trauma gets stuck in one of the hemispheres which makes you think that you're still in the danger. Yeah. So by stimulating your right hemisphere of your brain and your left hemisphere, which walking does, mm. um, without the adrenal buzz of perhaps hard running or yeah. something like yeah. that, can also help your body decant stress and trauma mm. from your body. And especially being in the wild as well. Yeah, nature. Nature. You can't control you nature. Can't, you can't control nature. And nature is such a lovely thing, isn't yeah. it? So you know, the biggest energy always wins. Yeah. So if you want calm, put yourself somewhere calm. Mm. But the problem is for a lot of people who've had trauma, calm means there's a storm coming. Yeah. So actually calm makes them feel more anxious. Yeah. You know, I've been through cancer myself. When, when I speak to cancer survivors, sometimes, obviously the diagnosis isn't, is, is a traumatic thing too, but what it does is put a massive spotlight on all your coping mechanisms for sure. Mm. But then for most people, the bigger anxiety is when all the treatment finishes yeah. and they're left just with their feelings. And that is when then very often the deeper emotional scars show themselves mm. because it's a vulnerable thing to face. So where would you go if you were a bloke right now and you have never shown your vulnerability and you know you've got deep pain inside? Where can a bloke turn to? Because there seems to be a lot of places for women they can turn to. But where can actually a bloke turn to? And the reason why I bring this up is because after our last episode, 103, mm -hmm. when we talk about narcissism, I've never had, like I said, I've never had so many hundreds of messages coming at all angles. I know you did as well. What can be done about that? There are so many, thankfully, revenues of support. I think the biggest thing that prevents more so guys from getting help is accepting that they feel, asking for help. Like asking for help is vulnerability in yeah. the masculine world, right? Mm -hmm. Asking for help. I think there are incredible books out there. I mean, we, you know, so many people have walked. The first thing to remember is, it is unlikely you're the first person that's walked this path. And I think the job for many people who have walked the path before you and have found a ways to heal, go and seek them out. And that isn't necessarily the person on TikTok that's giving you five ways to do X, Y, Z. Mm. Find the people that have walked the path. Find their books. I think I, I think a book that I found I recommend quite a lot to guys is um, Ollie Ollerton's book Breakpoint, which is um, obviously he was one of he's from the SAS Who yeah. Dares Wins, and I think um, his book was profound. I think in in discussing how men bury trauma, um, using some excellent stories too. But I understand all that. But if you're about to be committing suicide and you're the making, Samaritans, you're taking your life in your hands where you haven't got nowhere to turn to because your mates your mates not might not believe you or you, you you feel too vulnerable to go and tell them or there isn't anywhere the bloke can come speak to and that's the bit that really shocked me when i'm not going to mention his name he came in and yeah spoke to us there is there is the samaritans 
are always there 24-7, remarkable people who will join the space with you. You know, sometimes in those moments, it isn't about fixing someone. You can't fix someone who's so much in terror. You know, that's what we're talking about. I am so much in terror. I am so suffering. I need to get away from this. And if anybody knows someone or is in that place, it is really important or you recognize that someone is more vulnerable than they recognize Mm. is just keep checking in on them and don't be put off by them trying to push you away. Mm. There are, um, why would, why would a man push another man away? Because he doesn't want to show his weakness because that weakness then is vulnerability and he's then fearful of being attacked. Yeah or deemed as weakness by that man. And therefore to be rejected, when you are vulnerable and weak and you reach out for help and you feel rejected, mm. that can be the the extra push. Mm. Um, but of course you will have most probably have childhood trauma about rejection. Mm. So that's just triggered that further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are incredible therapists out there, male and female, you know, not everyone wants to work, you know, it's about finding someone who you feel understands you yeah. and somebody who, you know, look for someone who identifies with being trauma informed as well. There are, there are, I mean, such brilliant resources on YouTube. Mm. And I have to say, I think, you know, having now been a short-term member of TikTok, mm. <laughs> I, I think there's some such good information. Agreed. Look at the work of um, Gabor Matei. Um, you know, you can find such brilliant insight mm. just to hold a space with you. Mm. But in that moment, your first port of call is stability. Yeah. You know, how can I be stable? find stability. And maybe that's just finding a breath. Maybe that's just putting your hand on your heartbeat and connecting with your heartbeat in that moment, because it will bring you back into the present and away from the traumatized parts of you that are screaming for help. Mm. Becky, uh, this has been an unbelievable episode. Again, our second episode together. I really thank you coming in and I, I really hope anyone listening out there can learn a lot from these conversations. And I think the most important thing to take away is nothing is hardwired. Mm. And no matter how difficult what you've experienced is, there are ways to heal and recover. Mm. Becky, thank you so much. And I look forward to doing our next one. Me too. Nice one. Take care. Nice one. Cheers, Becky.